Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast. Ruthless but fair. Julia Hartley Brewer. Comprehensive coverage of all the news stories that matter to you. Harder, older, Hartley Brewer. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast from Talk Radio. The Israeli military has warned that Hamas leaders are dead men walking as fighting continues in Gaza City. Meanwhile, the UN chief has said that the number of civilians killed in Gaza shows there is something, in his words, clearly wrong with Israel's military operations. And Tony Guterres said the terrible image, he says, coming out of Gaza did not help public opinion of Israel. Is it all about the PR? Is it all about doing the right thing to defend your country? Well, joining me right now to talk about this and plenty more is the author Douglas Murray, who is in Israel right now as he prepares to visit the Israeli-Gaza border. Good afternoon to you, Douglas. Good to be with you, Julia. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Well, you've travelled to Israel. You're hoping to go to the border. I'm, I'm going to suggest, please, Douglas. No, I've already I been like... at the border. Yeah, you're on the border. I don't want you to go into Gaza. I want to keep you safe, if you don't <laughs> mind. Um, but tell us, tell us what, just first of all, what you make of Israel's response so far to the horrific Hamas terrorist attack on October the 7th, but just a month and a bit over uh, the anniversary of that, and the reaction of the world to their actions since then? Well, I mean, it's worth remembering, I actually was at the Gaza border yesterday, and uh, the, it was, among other things, that one of the massacre sites, two of the massacre sites, actually, were the music festival site and the massacre in one of the villages, communities, just by the Gaza border, uh, which was pretty much wiped out uh, on the 7th of October. Um, and it's still a sort of bloody burnt uh, crime scene. Um, I think it's very important the rest of the world at least spends more than just a beat on the fact that on October the 7th it was the largest massacre of Jews anywhere since the Holocaust. It was an unbelievable set of atrocities. And I think there's two things that really need to be remembered about this. Uh, the first is the fact that the group who did it, Hamas, has repeatedly said in the days and weeks since that it hopes to do more October the 7th style massacres and indeed that it intends to do so until the Jewish state is wiped out. So for all the people saying, you know, there should be some kind of compromise and much more, I think they need to take that into account and I see very few of them who do. The second thing is, of course, and you and I have discussed this before, but there's always this issue of 
Um, Israel is allowed to do something in response, but not very much. It's allowed to fight to some kind of status quo ante, but is not allowed to win. Um, you know, the, the, the eyes of the world are always on it, the Israeli military, and they always say the same things. They say that there's going to be a lack of proportionality in the response. They talk about, the, they always make claims like genocide when no such thing has gone on or will go on. And, you know, it, it, you can see it on the ground. The, the Israelis have asked the people, the citizens of Hamas, who, the citizens of Gaza who are not Hamas, to move south. Hamas massacred Gazan civilians as they tried to go south. Uh, it was initially reported by the BBC and others that that was the Israeli military who carried out those massacres. It wasn't. It was Hamas trying to keep the populations in the north so that they would remain as human shields. All of the deaths in Gaza are totally avoidable, and they would be avoidable, and it could all stop tomorrow if Hamas decided, first of all, to return any of the hostages they have, any of the hundreds of hostages they have who are still alive, and secondly, to put down their arms and stop trying to destroy and wipe out the Jewish state. All of this could stop tomorrow. Hamas has had billions of dollars of funding from the international community, from British taxpayers and others. And what have we got for it? We've got Hamas leaders living in luxury uh, resorts that they build abroad with the money we send them. And secondly, we have the situation in Gaza where instead of building what they could have done, a Singapore on sea, they instead built this extraordinary network of tunnels which they use to protect Hamas fighters and to endanger the lives of Palestinians in Gaza. So all of this needs to be kept in mind. I think much of it has already been lost in the international arena. Yeah, indeed, and when you have the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, constantly criticizing the Israeli response, when actually virtually every military person I speak to, we've got Philip Ingram in the studio, we'll come back to him a little bit later as well, um, saying that actually, you know, in terms of, you know, proportionality, what Israel is doing is, is perfectly within the realms of, 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 you know, international law when it comes to warfare, um, civilians do get killed in, in wars. That, that is a sad, terrible tragedy of life, but they're particularly more likely to get killed when an organization like Hamas choose to put their military hardware and their bases and fire missiles from civilian areas. And they build tunnels and, uh, and yes. hide underneath hospitals and schools. It is Hamas... Absolutely. that is responsible for that. And yet we see so little criticism yes. of Hamas, a prescribed terrorist organization, compared with criticism of a democratically elected government in Israel. What do you put that down to? Well, it's lots of things. I mean, one is pure ignorance. I do take it for granted that some of the people who go around the streets of London, particularly non-Muslims, chanting things like from the river to the sea, don't know what sea they're talking about and yes. couldn't identify the river in question, even if you gave them a clue and asked them to find it on a map. Um, so there are some people who are just wildly ignorant. And we also have a problem that we have a very large population, largely, I have to say, and it's very politically incorrect, but nevertheless, it's true, a very large imported population in the UK who are uh, significantly, in their numbers, anti-Semitic. I'm, you know, in countries like Britain and Germany, after the Second World War, anti-Semitism was absolutely chased out of public life in the UK. You could find these disgusting, tiny, tiny little rumps of right-wing anti-Semites, um, but they were nowhere near power and they never would have been. They just sort of did their toxic stuff in their little upstairs rooms. Uh, there has been an eruption of anti-Semitism on the left of politics in countries like Germany and Britain in recent decades 
most obviously in the UK with the election of Jeremy Corbyn as Labour Party leader. But, you know, the main driver of anti-Semitism in the West, in Europe, in countries like Britain and Germany in recent years, has been from the importing of millions of people from the Muslim world. And, you know, even somebody who's a very close enemy of mine, uh, Mehdi Hassan, uh, uh, said some time ago in a piece, he said, all Muslims know what I'm talking about when I say that anti-Semitism is, quote, our dirty little secret. He said, it always comes up at the dinner table, over, the, over dinner, there's always people who talk about the Jews having organized 9-11 and much, much more. It is the dirty little secret that's now out in the open, in my view, of Muslim communities in the UK and elsewhere. And I know that this is the case because, and I've said this many times in recent days, but it bears repeating. In recent years, hundreds of thousands of Muslims were killed, have been killed in Yemen, and there has not been 1% of the population on the streets there has been in recent weeks. Yes. In the last 13 years, 12 years, since the civil war began in Syria, hundreds of thousands of Muslims have been killed. More Muslims have been killed in the last decade in Syria than in every side of every conflict involving Israel since the foundation of the state at the, at the request of the UN in 1948. But we have not seen 1% of the people on the streets of London and other cities over the Syrian civil war, as we have in the last few weeks. Why? Because there is something about the Jewish state defending yes. itself that deeply wounds and aggrieves large numbers of British people, principally, it has to be said, the radical left and Muslims yes. in the UK. And, and it is so noticeable, that, isn't it? Yesterday we spoke on the show to Chris Williamson, a former Labour MP, a close ally of Jeremy Corbyn, someone who was ousted from the party, suspended, lost his seat. Um, I think we can understand why. And he likened uh, to, well, he very openly said, he said the Israeli government's actions were, quote, worse than the Nazis. He described the situation in Gaza yeah. as living in a concentration camp. Um, I, I said to him, why don't you just save everyone time and just come on the show and just say, I don't like Jewish people? Because that, to me, is what it felt like he right. was saying. Do you think that is, you know, when we talk about, yes. I mean, when people talk about Zionism, being anti-Zionist, is that actually, that is what they mean? Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry that the mask is completely off these people. There is one Jewish state in the world, and it was set up because the Jewish people could not be protected in any country in the world. And that has been the case for millennia now. And the fact that their historic homeland, uh, where I'm standing at the moment, had the state re-established in 1948 was in large part because Jews believed rightly, in my view, that they needed to look after themselves because the world would not defend them. What you see in the streets of London at the moment is a reminder of that. It's not Muslims who fear being on the streets of London. It's not even Muslims chanting for jihad who fear, on, fear being on the streets of London. It's Jews who fear being on the streets of London. I hear of no Hamas supporter who fears and worries about their time in the UK. They're having a great time. They're collecting social welfare benefits, among other things. One of the heads of Hamas in the UK, uh, uh, a man called Mohammed Sawalha, um, uh, has a, a British has been taking British payments from the taxpayer for years yeah. to work for Hamas in the UK. I don't see people like him being worried about being in Britain. It's calls from Jewish friends that I get from Britain and abroad saying, I don't want to go into the centre of town on weekends anymore. So there is, there is every reason to recognise that what is going on at the moment is a virulent assault on the one Jewish state in the world for protecting its citizens from massacre. And there's one other thing that's important to state about this, which is this, Julia. 
You know, uh, there are all these people who use the kind of language that Chris Williamson used with you yesterday. They talk about... One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Nazis. They talk about genocide. They talk about concentration camps and the Warsaw Ghetto. Why do they choose this language? There are many situations in the world today, as have been for decades, where wars happen, where terrible things happen out of necessity or human evil or otherwise. Uh, Pakistan at the moment is, is forcibly deporting two million people from Pakistan uh, into Afghanistan. Uh, where is the outrage on the streets from Muslim Britons? Nowhere. Nowhere. All the, all the Muslim British people who have their origins in Pakistan are silent about this. They don't care about deporting two million people. But here's the thing, Julia. Why do they use language like Nazi, genocide, extermination, concentration camps about the one Jewish state in the world, they do it because they want to hurt and wound Jews. It's, it's very you could chosen. use any number. Uh, you could use any number of analogies to talk about what the IDF is doing at the moment in yep. Gaza. Any number of military analogies, using examples from British military history, from but French they, military they history. But they choose that one. Ch- I'm going to interrupt but you there. they be- choose this one. Okay, I want to talk to you more about what's going on in terms of London, Swella Brahman's comments about uh, these march planned on Armistice Day on Saturday and, of course, demands for a ceasefire, who that benefits as well. Uh, so we'll come back we'll look at more from Douglas Murray, who's in uh, Israel for us live right now. We'll come back to him in just a couple of moments, so do stay tuned. <laughs> Good afternoon. Welcome back. I'm Julia Hartley-Brewer. You'll be Talk TV on TV, on radio, online and on your smart speaker. Now, just some breaking news. Uh, Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, did not clear Home Secretary Swella Bravman's article attacking the Metropolitan Police for handling uh, of uh, the pro-Palestinian protest. The Prime Minister's spokesman has said that Downing Street is looking into what happened with the article. They added, though, that uh, Mr Sunak has full confidence in the Home Secretary. This is about an article in the Times newspaper this morning in which Swella Bravman accused the Met Police of applying a double standard to its policing of protest, being biased and playing favourites. Well, actually, let's talk about this right now with author Douglas Murray. We've been talking to him. He's live in Israel. He's been to the Israel-Gaza border and he's talking to us about, well, the reaction internationally to events there. Uh, Good afternoon to you again, Douglas Murray. Um, Just want to ask you about um, what's been going on back home here in the UK with um, Suella Bravman making these comments about the 
the bias of the police, not choosing to ban this pro-Palestinian demonstration, planned to take place to this Saturday in the afternoon, not next to the Cenotaph, but on the day that is Armistice Day, one of the most, let's face it, sacred days in the British calendar when we mark our, our fallen heroes who've given us the rights to do things like, you know, protest in the streets. Sola Bradman says the police are basically playing favourites. Even the Prime Minister has criticised the police, called Sir Mark Rowley, the Met Chief, in, to his office in Number 10 yesterday. Uh, basically, word is he's saying, look, you should ban these marches, but if you're not going to, on your head be it if something happens. What do you make of Suella Bradman's language? What do you make of the decision of the Met Police to allow this march to go ahead? I can't quite understand the treatment of Suella Bravman in the UK. It's extraordinary to me. Uh, she uses perfectly sensible, reasonable language to describe incredibly unsensible and unreasonable people and is forever defamed by people as if she is spouting the most unbelievable far-right ring rhetoric. I mean, the, the criticism of her is endless. It's weird because, I mean, the same thing was done against Priti Patel in recent years when she was Home Secretary. It's a very strange treatment, uh, as, if, as if anyone who's Home Secretary and actually has the interests of the British people at heart is in some way doing something unforgivable. I have to say I don't quite understand There's it. a lot of pearl um, clutching at yes, everything she says, isn't there? When did she say... Oh, Oh, yeah. are saying she's saying the quiet bit out loud. Well, she's not even saying the particularly quiet bit. She's saying the obvious bit out loud. The Metropolitan Police is meant to protect the British public. And what happens time after time, whether it's Extinction Rebellion end time eco-cult lunatics or Hamas on the streets of the UK, the Metropolitan Police seem to let them get away with it. I mean, you know, we just had one of our great national treasures, the Rokeby Venus of Velazquez in the National Gallery, once again attacked, this time by two young maniacs with hammers yeah. who smashed into this unbelievably important masterpiece with hammers. And, you know, they get away with it. They, they almost certainly yeah. get away with it because the last couple of people who did that ended up getting a 500 quid fine for gluing themselves to a Van Gogh. This is a very shorthand example of what's happening in the UK at the moment. There's this weird standard on policing. And absolutely the Home Secretary is right to call it out. If, if, if you or I, Julia, or anyone else was to go onto the streets and call for the murder of any minority group, we would be arrested, we would be um, fined, we would be charged, we would be, we'd be bundled into the back of a police van. Well, as it happens, it wouldn't have occurred to either of us to do so. But why is it that week after week there are people on the streets of Britain calling for jihad? There are, and there's, I, I send these out online all the time. There's sermon after sermon at mosque after mosque across the UK calling for jihad in the UK, calling for the extermination of the Jewish state, calling for the downfall of Britain. None of these people get their collars felt by the Met or, the, or, or, or any of the other police forces. Why is it that when people on the streets of London call for jihad, that we end up with the Metropolitan Police issuing a statement saying that their crack Quran interpretation squads at Central Met HQ have come up with the brilliant idea that saying jihad means a lot of different things according to them. According to Inspector Plod, um, a big bearded fella shouting jihad, jihad, slay the infidels on the streets of London. Uh, it no, could be uh, saying that he's about to have an inner spiritual struggle with the precise nature of the deity. <laughs> I mean, come on, this is Met this Police. is the mad come territory on. we are in. But if we have, and we're told, you know, veterans 
um, lots of football hooligans, we're told EDL, Toby Robinson, sending people saying, look, go to the cenotaph, even though the cenotaph's not on the route, it must be stressed, not on the route of this march, and the 11 o'clock, it's not, it, the march starts later. They say they're worried about the, that the police aren't going to protect this, you know, this sacred memorial to our fallen war heroes. They, on the most you know, important yeah. weekend of the year for them, that they feel they need to go and do that job themselves. When they're, if and when, let's face it, when there is trouble, we know who's going to get blamed, don't we? Yeah, look, let me put this at the straightest. We have had two decades and more of whining from members of the Muslim community about their sacred places and sacred ideas. We have learned that you can't write novels if it offends uh, um, any Muslim. Uh, you can't draw a cartoon if it offends any Muslim. Uh, you can't publish a book or make a speech unless if it offends any Muslim. Okay, we've had decades of this now. Some of us are completely bored of it and think that in any case it was a con trick all along. Here's the thing. Okay, here's the deal. We have sacred places too. We have sacred places too. One of them is the Cenotaph. One is Remembrance Day. One is when we remember the fallen of two world wars. Those are our sacred places. And you think you can trample on them? You think you can prod us and insult us by marching on those days with your hate and your anti-Semitism and your anti-British sentiment? No. No. Okay. We played fair and they're not. The people doing the Million Man March are not playing fair at all. And the British public can see it. And I have said for a long time, if the British police will not protect the British public, if the British police will not protect, then it is up to somebody else. And it looks to me very much like the British public have realised that the Met Police and others recognise, and one of them said this on camera last week, that they're outnumbered yes. at the anti-Israel protest. They're outnumbered. They don't know what to do, Julia. They're scared. They're terrified. Some of them, you can see it in the faces of the older cops, are pissed as hell that they are having to put up with this as young thugs scream insults in their face and taunt them. They don't look like they're enjoying this one bit. But here's the thing. If the Met don't look after the public and our monuments and sacred places, then it falls to the public to do so. And they might include people that you and I would not like, Julia. But this is what happens when law and order breaks down. This is what happens when the police will not police. This is what happens when the police allow people to call for the murder of people on British streets if they happen to be Muslim people doing the chanting and would be round at your house in a nanosecond if you happened to be an autistic girl, for instance, who had said that a particular lesbian looking cop looked but like their lesbian nana. You'd get nine people coming out to your house and hauling you out if you were that autistic girl. But you can be a big bearded jihadi calling for jihad and the massacre of Jews anywhere in the UK and you're fine. Well, lots of people have noticed that and we do not like it. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think an awful lot of people will feel exactly the same way. They say all we want is the police and the government and to do if their I say job. And can I just say one other thing very yep. quickly, Julia? I'm in a country here at the moment, Israel, that is protecting itself and protecting its population. And I don't care to hear all the analysis from armchair pundits and others about what they should do and what they shouldn't. But I have a challenge to the British public on this. Why don't we learn to protect the British people as well? The Israeli government knows how to look after the Israeli people. The British government should know how to look after the British people. They should put us first, not everybody else. Absolutely. Here, here to that. Douglas Murray, live for us from Israel. Thank you, as always, for joining us. I appreciate uh, your thoughts, your comments.
The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast. Ruthless but fair. Julia Hartley Brewer. Comprehensive coverage of all the new stories that matter to you. Harder, older, Hartley Brewer. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast from Talk Radio.